I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me. Check out all of our stories over at the michiganinsider.com, michigan.247sports.com. Lots of stuff previewing Wisconsin. Uh, still a few stories kind of talking about what's happened with the Wolverines one and two start. We also had a podcast on uh, what we recorded Saturday night. I think it came out on Sunday, uh, recapping the Michigan's loss to Indiana and kind of, we actually did do a hot seat temperature check, but as I said in that episode, the state of the program questions that came from that loss, I wanted to save for a true um, listener driven episode, just kind of looking at how, how Michigan got to this point, what could be next, what should be next. Uh, lots of, lots of like little debates within the grand discussion. So uh, that's what this episode is. I think every question that was asked before we recorded, we'll get to. Um, thank you to our listeners for sending some great questions. If you like this episode, share it with your friends. Let us know that you liked it or what you liked about it so we can keep improving. Uh, throw us a rating, subscribe if you haven't. And then, of course, you can feel free to join the discussion either on Twitter or over at themichiganinsider.com. So first, uh, quickly to recap, last week, or not last week, last episode, we gave Don Brown a 9 or a 10 out of 10 on the hot seat. I think you and I are in agreement. It's just really hard to justify him still, him being the defense, I mean, finishing out the season. We'll talk about mid-season firings versus post-season ones later on in this episode, but kind of viewed him as someone really hard to envision him being the defensive coordinator for Michigan beyond this season, barring a truly sudden change. Jim Harbaugh, I think it sounded like you were a little bit more in the five or six zone. I think I was in a seven uh, out of 10 for his, how warm is his seat? And that's the same deal. Kind of depends on how the season goes. I personally think he's got a surprise. He's got to have an upset win somewhere along the way here, whether it's, I guess Wisconsin technically wouldn't be viewed as an upset, but it would be viewed as a win most people aren't expecting. Uh, you know, maybe Penn State, which actually looks relatively doable. Um, maybe it's Ohio State. Maybe it's a bowl game. They they have to win something that right now they don't look like they're going to win. So the team has to improve. Um, and then Josh Gaddis, we weren't, we didn't think his seat was hot. Uh, probably probably depends on how the rest of the season goes in terms of those evaluations. Steve, have you changed those ratings at all? No, but I think it's contingent on, you know, improvement or lack of improvement or whatever, right? You know, so it's, yeah. with Don Brown, it's not like I'm like, hey, he should have been fired on Sunday morning after the Indiana game. I, I think, I think a, any kind of change right now would be, more devastating to recruiting than it would be beneficial mm -hmm. for 
and it wouldn't even Optics? really be yeah, 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 like, yeah like, it would not it would not make them better at football this season right so and and with that in mind i guess my thing is and particularly with brown is yes i think there's been a pattern now of struggling against like what we would call elite competition hmm. but I think yes. he's done not en- just elite anymore, right? R- yeah, no, of course. No, <laughs> I, there's somebody that I, this morning I was perusing the old board and somebody literally took all of the ranked wins that Michigan had and like tried to justify why Don Brown's defensive performance actually wasn't that good in that game. Like even like Notre Dame last year somehow. So um, <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's just, it's getting to that point where it's like a little over the top. I do think he's done enough though throughout his career at Michigan for sure to at least earn the rest of the season. Um, but if they don't show steady improvement and if they get shellacked again against Ohio state, then I think, you know, it might be time to have that conversation. Cause again, the end numbers have been good defensively for Michigan and the statistics, the raw numbers have usually been pretty good, but you know, Ohio state's put 62, 56 on the board, the last two games, their offense looks as good as it has in the last four or five. What I think I saw a stat yesterday that Justin Fields has as many touchdown passes as he does incompletions so far this year. (laughs) Uh, So they're not going to be, you know, their offense is going to be as good as it's been. So, you know, but 62, 56, you know, unacceptable. We know Michigan's offense in those games has not helped them either. You know, I think it's put more pressure on the defense, but still, uh, you know, you can't let that happen three years in a row. And at, at Michigan and expect to, you know, to keep things the same. Right. Right. Yeah. It, even as offenses increase in college football, I mean, I think it's, I think you'll never hold a playoff team under 30 points these days, unless the rain or le- unless there's like a incredible weather or like injury situation, playoff teams are going to score 30 points, but they don't have to score 50 or 60. Um, and now, now I mean, I, I broke it down last episode, so we won't necessarily rehash. Past five games, which includes Indiana, Michigan State, Minnesota, um, Alabama, and Ohio State, to be fair. But the last five games, Michigan has allowed 36 points a game, 301 passing yards per game. That's not... Not good. Yeah, that's not... It doesn't, it doesn't matter what he's done before. That, that means that something is severely not working. Anyway... We'll talk more about Brown and Harbaugh, but let's let's get some of these questions going here. Uh, the big one that I had was, what has gone the most wrong in Jim Harbaugh's tenure so far? And a couple questions uh, to, to address while addressing the bigger one. Uh, first one comes from Christopher saying, asking, should Harbaugh's tenure be viewed as one where he simply missed too many times on hiring the right coordinators uh, that are flexible in game planning? And then Kevin asks, um, actually, that one will come in just a moment. But but keeping, there's coordinators. Uh, we'll talk about recruiting in a separate question. There's coordinators, there's style, there's uh, decision-making. In your mind, Steve, what has gone the most wrong in Jim Harbaugh's tenure so far? And, and we acknowledge plenty has gone right. They have won, they've had, what, three top 15 finishes. Uh, that's That's not bad. But they are one and two. They are outside of the top twenty-five in year six. Two pretty uh, stunning losses in a row. 
what has gone the most wrong to get Michigan to this point? Is this non-recruiting right now? Non-recruiting, yep. I, I think there's two things, and I guess, and, and one is sort of, I think, been cemented this year, and I don't think it's something that was really going to be easy. I'll just get that one out of the way first. Michigan has never come close to replacing Bo Hurst um, in the middle of their defensive line since I mean, he's been gone since what, 17 or 16. Um, they've never come close to replicating having a player that's replicated that production in the middle of their defensive line. It's indicative of a bigger problem, which is what the recruiting side will be talked about. Well, my, my point on the dis, uh, recruiting side will be, but that's a big one. And then the other one, like they've been, they it's they haven't found that difference maker at quarterback yet. I don't think the quarterback play overall has been like terrible or poor, you know, from Michigan under Harbaugh. It's just never been a where game, we thought it would, changing. Yeah, yeah, where we thought it would be, and B, yeah, they haven't found that guy who, well, can keep you in the game against Ohio State when they're scoring touchdowns. Uh, you know, they're the thing about the 62 and 56, like we said, you know, there were some offensive mistakes in those games that allowed Ohio state to pile up points pretty quickly too, you know? And so while it's, you know, if you look at 62, 56 and just think straight, straight up defensive breakdown, uh, the offense hasn't maybe held up their end of the deal um, in a lot of those scenarios in the big games as well. So those are probably really the two, you know, we're, we're, we're reading articles, last 24, 48 hours about how awesome Quiddy pay has been. And to be clear, we've taught, we've talked about how the defensive line as a, as a unit has been as big a letdown as the cornerbacks have had to have. And we had to, I think I need to reiterate, and maybe you would vouch too, because this is exactly what we said is that Michigan's edge rush has been good enough. Definitely been good enough, but that they're getting so little in the middle that there still is a pocket that's allowing these quarterbacks to step up and make a throw because it's all been about the two or three step drop. You still have to step forward and put momentum into the ball to get it down the field. If you're a quarterback, it's not just taking two or three steps and just chucking it up in the air while you're running back, like while you're dropping back and Michigan's got so little in the middle as far as like pass rush and penetration that there's nothing there, you know? And so quitting get around the edge every play. You know, and yes, there have been plenty of instances where there probably was no chance to get any pressure out, right? But there have been plenty of instances as well where the opposing quarterback, especially the last two weeks, has had time to drop, take a step back. And again, it's not a seven or nine step drop, anything crazy, but take a step back and be able to comfortably plant the front foot and make the throw down the field because there is no traffic anywhere in the middle. And so, you know, and again, I think Michigan has not had a guy that's even come close to doing what Mohurst did. And uh, I think that really from a defensive standpoint, if anything, it kind of makes what Michigan's done at corner really impressive until this year, because they've had, they've had flashes where they've been, where they've been solid in the middle. The edge play's always been really good, but nothing close to what Mohurst brought to the table. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Cause I mean, if you think about it, um, Michigan's, First three seasons. Now the first two obviously were better than 2017, but if if I, I go back to this, if Michigan had Shea Patterson instead of Spate Peters O'Corn at quarterback in 2017, 
they're probably going into that Michigan Ohio State game with everything on the table still. You know, they I don't think they beat they would beat Penn State in that situation, but I do think they would have beaten Michigan State and Wisconsin that year. And so then you're looking at kind of the same deal, another top 15 finish. Uh and yeah, since then they they just have not had the same kind of defense and that that has to fall on Brown. You know, I know he doesn't coach the defensive line. I know they kind of got, um, they they had some misfortune with with Greg Madison leaving. Uh, you know, at a time where just as so many defensive linemen were leaving for Michigan as well. So, uh, but still, if you're a defensive coordinator, you're in charge of putting together the, the defense. So I agree with that one. I actually went a little bit more big picture off the field for this one because I was, I was thinking about it and thinking about like, is there a common theme between like the, the various shortcomings and, and the one that stands out to me is I, I think, I think Michigan was just a little slow to adjust to how the, the game has changed. Because if you think about football, college football in 2014 versus now it's changed actually quite a bit. And, and I always, I've always said, I think Jim Harbaugh would have been, viewed as the best coach in the country if he had been coaching Michigan 25 years ago. You know, because his calling card, I, I you know, we mentioned last episode, what does he do better than most coaches in the country as a coach? I think he's actually very good at coaching toughness. I think he's very good at putting together a um, angry, competitive strength and conditioning program. I know he isn't in charge of strength and conditioning, but I think he knows what to look for. And I think his recruits, uh, I think he's very good at identifying recruits that really love football, that love football, love hitting are, are tough kind of maybe not quite angry, but tough football loving people. And and that really would have worked, right? I mean, you think about his coaching influences, there was Bo Schembechler viewed as, maybe the best coach, one of the best coaches in the seventies and eighties and Jack Harbaugh, his dad, who was viewed as um, a really phenomenal coach. I think he won like three or four coach of the year awards at the FCS division one, double a level in the nineties. And I think, I think it worked in 2015 and 2016, partly because they had a pretty good roster you know, with, with a couple top 10 recruiting classes entering their junior, senior years. And I also think that that, that was able to carry them before teams could adjust and figure out, okay, this is what Michigan does. And, and that happens everywhere, but usually what teams do is they're constantly changing, constantly evolving. I mean, there really isn't Clemson's the only team I can think of that gets away with having the same kind of coordinator off schemes year in, year out. I really don't think, I mean, Alabama kind of gets away with it, but but even Ohio State, they've changed what they do. I mean, the, the Urban Meyer teams of 2012 versus the Urban Meyer teams of uh, 2018 looked like very different programs in a lot of ways. And, and I just, I don't know, Michigan's changed and they change year in, year out with the different players. I just, I felt like they were a little behind on some key um key concern. So to Christopher's question, you know, did he hire the right coordinators? I think looking back, maybe some of the initial hires that, that, I mean, I think Durkin worked in an on-field 
perspective. I mean, he was gone after one year, uh, but you think about the offensive and defensive coordinator hires. I think the biggest thing that they all had in common in terms of where they might have fallen short was adapting. The offense that that Michigan's running, the recruits that they're recruiting, uh, the skill positions, that should have been the kind of player they were going after years ago. And instead, I, I it felt like they really wanted to be like Wisconsin. And I would argue Michigan's optimal situation is not to try to be like Wisconsin. It's to try to be maybe like Ohio State because they can recruit at that level. They can recruit top 10 classes. And Wisconsin, they kind of have to be the way they are. One, because the players around, like in the high school around Wisconsin are very Wisconsin-like. It's a lot of, you know, big linemen, um, you know, kind of that tough man ball, fullbacks, tight ends, bruising kind of football. And then two, uh, they could never recruit at the level of, I mean, even Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. So didn't contend for the Big Ten title. They had to play a little differently. So I think, to me, I think they were just behind a couple times. You know, if they had a um, creative aggressive spread type of offense 2017 or even 2016 you know do do they win a game that they maybe weren't expected to and does that kind of create some momentum same with on the defensive side of the ball i think a lot of the man coverage press man coverage stuff that's kind of going out the window I mean, you're seeing guys i mean you know think about your fantasy football team in the NFL. How many, how many amazing receivers are there who run four, three sevens, you know, have 40 inch vertical leaps. Seems like Michigan's faced like 10 of those guys in the last three years. Probably was time to change the defense a little bit. And and you're absolutely right, Steve, you do need defensive linemen to create pressure. If you're going to ever stop a, an elite passing attack, but I just feel like the game has gotten so pass happy just in the last three, three years feels like Michigan was behind on a couple critical in a couple critical situations uh, where they just, I mean, you don't just get to sign a recruit. You know, it's not like a free agent. You don't just get to sign someone mid season or in the off season to, to address your needs. No, you have to think about this stuff a year or two in advance. And so I think a, a lack of innovation and maybe a desire to play an outdated style of football, I think that really hurt Michigan. Um, because I, you know, I think, I think people think like Jim Harbaugh does nothing. I think they think he like doesn't know football. This is, he is one of the elite football minds in, in the country and the world, I guess. But I just, if I'm thinking why it worked for Stanford in uh, you know, when he was there and why it worked for San Francisco when he was there, football is just a little different then. I mean, it, you look around who are the best coaches in the country right now outside of Nick Saban and Dabo Swinney. It's a lot of people who are 20, 25 years younger than Jim Harbaugh. It's a lot of people who kind of grew up in this real pass, pass driven era of college football. So that's, that's kind of, I, I guess that's a few things, but I think the, the lack of innovation was the biggest thing 
that has hurt Michigan. I think they wanted to be Wisconsin when in reality they should have been trying to be Ohio State. I slightly, I, I slightly disagreed, at least on the offensive side, because I do think Gaddis's offense is, is an offense that can succeed in today's. But do you think they made a Gaddis type hire a year late? or two too late? Yes. Hmm. Because I, I don't know. I if agree. We, I, I don't know if we know. You. I don't know if we know the answer to that yet. I mean, fair. We look at last Saturday. Let's, let's just take last Saturday's game in particular. For me, I just I don't know. I, I just feel like Michigan's never just been able to have it all come together at the same time. There's always like a piece missing here and a piece missing there. You know, because I look at Saturday's game against Indiana. And they had, what, five different receivers that averaged over 20 yards a catch and would have had, you know, five or six more big plays that were created, like were well-designed and that created open receivers that the quarterback just, you know, missed on. And so, Steve, real quick, just with the passing thing, and and you're welcome to disagree, Joe Milton completed four of 13 passes in the first half. So before... Michigan was down 17. Those passing stats, which is absolutely true. He threw for 344 yards. Very good. Valiant, mostly valiant effort on the comeback. But when Indiana, when it was an even game, it wasn't there. I agree with you that Gaddis is very innovative. I think they're recruiting the right kind of receivers right now. And I just, I wonder if they just made that hire a year or two too late. Uh, I'm not sure. I, 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 that could be this too is, and this has been another topic. I know that has really popped up and it always pops up when Michigan loses is, you know, maybe we, and part of this is stems from what the coaches say in availability and et cetera, et cetera, you know, is that maybe we had too high of expectations for that unit this year, considering they do have 10 new starters, um, not making excuses, because it's it's insane how terribly they've run the ball the last two games. I mean, I don't care if you have two new start or ten new starters or two new starters or whatever. Uh, Michigan should be recruiting well enough year in and year out to be able to run the football well against teams like Indiana and Michigan State. Even a, I guess we'll say a historically good Indiana team. I don't like what does that even mean? Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, this is this is what I bet this is their on pace to have their best best year in 30, 40 years or whatever. But either way, it uh, doesn't change the fact that uh, Michigan should re- be recruiting well enough to run the football a little bit better. I just kind of wonder, you know, is this going to be like last year where the offense is really going to start to click as the season goes on and these guys get more? Because there's a possibility, and I don't think it'll happen, but I mean, you could argue that Michigan could have the exact same starting lineup for the 2022 season that they do right now outside of Jalen Mayfield. 2021. No, both who like with the extra year of eligibility, especially like, you know, of these, which of these guys would leave early for the NFL at this point. So you think Filiaga and Stuber would come back for sixth years. The Stardust yeah. would come back for a seventh year. Okay. I know what you mean, though. You it's understand, a, it's a young, what, I'm, you understand yes. what I'm saying, like, at, or or that the it'd be more talented with the majority of these guys coming back. So yeah, take the offense with like Vasardis, like a guy like Carpenter, you would obviously think would be ready. 
by 2022. I'm just saying like, there's a, at least at the skill positions, they could have all of these guys back for the next two years, really I'm not saying they will. I probably, they probably won't, but I know it's a, yeah, it is a it's very, driven. very green. The bus is being driven by underclassmen. Yes. It's a very, very, very green unit. And again, before, you know, not making excuses for the performance, because this is, this, this is Harbaugh's sixth year. A lot of these guys that are starting for the first time have been in the system for at least two years. It's not as if they're a ton of true freshmen out there. They do have their true freshman guys that are playing, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's a fast, that's an interesting discussion though. If it was a year too late or not, I, I sort of tend to believe not, but I think there's an argument to be made on both sides for sure. Yeah. I actually, I, I don't even know if it's necessarily the higher because I feel like that puts the previous coordinators in a tough spot, but this was Jim Harbaugh's offense until 2019. And, you know, they, they were winning more games than they were losing, but you almost wonder, I mean, especially now that Pep Hamilton seems to be doing really well with the Chargers, you almost wonder, should he have gotten the keys in 2017? You know, as soon as Jed Fish leaves, instead of it being like a, Tre- a Drevno, Harbaugh, Hamilton mix, just give it to Hamilton. Just a, just a thought. Um, and then I also would reiterate my my talk last episode about I almost wonder if Michigan just builds a little overconfidence. You know, they I mean Harbaugh, and this is a former player, this is common with former players, refusing to ever say anything negative about his team in press conferences and his assistants doing the exact same. I wonder if that that trickles down to being overconfidence with the team. Cause I, I, I feel like the team talks themselves into uh, you know, what they're going to do is going to work. They're extremely confident. They, they, they feel like, you know, I think last year against Wisconsin was like the perfect example. They're like, um, you know, felt, felt like they probably were going to do better than they actually were going to do. They talk themselves into being the better team, talk themselves into their offense working. I feel like this happens every off season. Um, you know, talk themselves into, oh yeah, this, you know, they downplay the shortcomings and upplay the strengths. And in reality, I mean, th- this off season is a perfect example. They didn't have to say everything that they said. They could have said, no, it's a, it's a really young team. It's going to be a bit of a transition year and we're calling on our guys to do better. So next question, this one's more for you than for me. Um, same question for recruiting. What has gone the most wrong in Jim Harbaugh's tenure on the recruiting front? So we've talked about a few of these 2017 defensive line class. Honestly, the 2017 class as a whole. Period. Um, I think quarterback could be could be a discussion to have. What in your mind? What has gone the most wrong on the recruiting front? And you can get big picture too. It doesn't have to just be one recruit or whatever. Uh, the most wrong is the middle of the defensive line in 17. It's, it's gotta be the most wrong as if we're actually, if we're taking what's the top, maybe the, what's the biggest reason why Michigan's defense has played the way it is so far this year. It's because they would have three or four more fourth year guys in the middle of their defensive line right now to rotate in. If, if attrition hadn't hit and if they hadn't had these major misses, which Weirdly enough, I mean, they – I actually don't know how James Hudson has done at Cincinnati. I mean, granted, he's playing offensive line now, but um, 
just this D-line class as a whole. I mean, Solomon, Villane, Hudson, Irving Bay, Malone Hatcher, Jeter, Paya. What? And then Quiddy, who actually Quiddy might be one of the five or six best players in college football this year. But besides that, who Quiddy was the lowest ranked of them, by the way. And then, right, um, right. Always like to point that out. So, um, Otherwise, they've gotten almost literally nothing from the rest of that group. Mm-hmm. And so what I, where I think, and I look at that as being the, the failure as far as whether it was an eat, whether it was poor evals or pressure to want to try to reel in in-state guys, even though maybe they weren't as good as they were ranked or what the deal was, that's, that's the problem. Because initially, then everyone like whines about that they didn't take any tackles in 2018. Well, almost all of these guys were still on campus at that point, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it's there's that they didn't take a true defensive tackle, which right, right. one of the ironically enough, their Julius Welshoff is going to have a better career than anybody anybody on that 17 class except for Pay. You know, and he was one of the oh, not real tackle that they took <laughs> in that class, right? So yeah. that just completely kind of set them in a in a terrible the, the position where they're at now, where miss, missing on a guy like Rayshon Benny is ter- is horrible because you need talented guys in the middle there. Yeah, so, <laughs> you know what I mean. So like, and, and that's that's a different discussion, but. You know, I, I think it goes and and we've this is a talk we've had a lot, but it does. It really is. It's eerily, and if you're a Michigan fan, makes you nervous, reminiscent of that 2013 offensive line class. So, you know, things have changed since then. The transfer portal can be an asset for Michigan if they find the right guy. And, mm-hmm. and I think I'd be shocked now, after this year, if they didn't heavily go into the portal and especially now with the one-time transfer rule too, you actually might be able to get like a, a good player. Right. It's all those same names that people were freaking out that Michigan didn't pursue. I think Jovan Swan out of Stanford who actually transferred to Indiana. We didn't mm-hmm. hear his name once uh, on Saturday or was he maybe in there a little bit? I, I thought he played a decent amount. They had a couple transfers. I think three of their starting defensive linemen were right. transfers. So yeah, I mean, that's really, I think they're the single biggest recruiting issue for sure. Um, Swan had two tackles. Okay. The cornerback stuff. And that's the other slight gripe. I don't know if we'll talk about this on our recruiting pod or not, but there's this like discrepancy of like people getting upset when we tell them that the guys that they've taken were like their top targets, which apparently is translated into these guys are going to be great players no matter what. Um, when in fact we're just truthfully passing along, like that a guy like say like a guy like Jamon Green was absolutely one of their top targets in 2018. Same with DJ Turner in 2019. You know these are again these, we've talked about this a lot, but you know that that was something that you know we reported back then, and so. Yeah, I mean, it's – although I think Jamon Green actually hasn't – I think there's some some potential there still, for sure. I think he's probably been their best cornerback so far. 
this year. Yes, I don't know what that says. Right? No, I I know, but I but do. I do I, think, I agree with you. Again, for a guy first year starter, kind of being thrown into the fire. I know it's his third year in the program, but um, I do think he's a guy. At the end of the day, may end up being an asset for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, and then the same goes in twenty, and we haven't seen either of those two guys yet, in Darian Green, Warren, and, and Andre Seldon. But those were legitimately like top of the line targets. So one thing helping Michigan, both of them look more like traditional top recruits. You know, they're, they're a little faster. They are higher ranked. I think they're both four stars. I think they're both top 200. If I'm not mistaken, I'm not sure where green Warren ended up close right on the borderline. I want to say, okay. Okay. Hey, real quick with a, with a recruiting question, we've talked about tackles. We talked about corners. I wonder, looking back, because on paper, just on paper, Michigan missed on quarterback in its first three recruiting classes under Jim Harbaugh. They got their top targets, so I guess maybe not miss, but the fact is, yeah. But the fact is, you know, Zach Gentry, Alex Malzone, uh, Brandon Peters, Dylan McCaffrey, none of them proved to be a legitimate starter sure. at Michigan. Now, Gentry got drafted as a tight end. That's a whole different thing. And then you throw in, I mean, it just it felt like for like eight straight years, they, they really struggled to recruit a quarterback. And as much as Michigan fans are don't don't like Shea Patterson, that seems to be a common a common belief. Uh, we don't know. He might have bailed them out a little bit in 2018, 2019. Sure. And so I'm just curious because I asked you, I think in like May, I was trying to put together a biggest what if of the Jim Harbaugh era story. And you actually surprised me. I hope you don't mind me no. sharing this, but um, you said what if Michigan had landed Josh Rosen in 2015? Now that's, this is not to speak to just that, but I'm curious from your perspective, Steve has the, the um, quarterback recruiting now, Joe Milton. I think that was a fantastic find. I think that was, you know, that was a perfect recruitment that they, they, they had a top target, but they realized that they actually, they were open-minded to a different, quarterback being there felt like that was a really good recruitment but other than that it, it ha- and, and Cade McNamara seems like a, I guess we'll have to see um I like what he does in warm-ups but yeah, we don't know yeah we yeah. can't really speak on McNamara <laughs> but yet. so far I mean that's that's got to be especially given Jim Harbaugh's pedigree both developing quarterbacks and literally being a quarterback that to me it might not be as bad as the defensive tackle recruiting or the cornerback recruiting, but in terms of what I think everybody thought it was going to be when he arrived on campus, that has been a strange um, setback for Michigan, I feel like. Strange is a really good word, I think, to describe it, I suppose. Um, yeah, I mean, because again, at the time, and when you watch these guys in any setting, you know, very surprising to see neither Brandon Peters nor Dylan McCaffrey finish their careers out at Michigan. Um, Maybe particularly Peters who I thought really had some stuff, you know, like had something there and McCaffrey, we never really got to see too extended of a opportunity for him here, but yeah, I, 
consider, I guess, again, I think that there is an argument there for that to be the most glaring just because we've harped on the fact that Michigan hasn't found that game-changing quarterback yet to compete like with an Ohio State or to, to you know, get them to the Big Ten Championship or the playoffs or whatever. So I, I think you could make that argument. Uh, but strange is probably the best way to put it because they kind of have landed. I don't think, like, for instance, I don't think Peters was maybe their, like, number, number one guy, but he was probably definitely within the top three. Mm-hmm. Uh, McCaffrey was their number one target in 17. Milton was probably close to number one. Um, obviously, uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson was way up there. I feel like I'm just going off straight memory here is that there might have been a guy, another guy that was like really high on the board, probably whoever was like top, top ranked in the class. But is it fair to say Michigan should have landed a five star quarterback early on in the Jim Harbaugh era? Hmm. Because um, I agree with you. I, I remember the excitement for these quarterbacks, both within the program and with fans. With you know Peters McCaffrey, I guess I Peters, maybe Peters was sixty first. He was. No, yeah, um, that's not that like far off. I want to see where we had him. That's the composite. I'm checking out his profile. But like a KJ Costello, um, I think he was in that class. He was a five star. Went yep. to Stanford. Yep. So Peters was for splitting hairs here. I mean, Peters, we had him as the 34th ranked player in the country, which is literally two spots outside okay. of five-star status. All right. I, I was going to say, I, I thought that we had him really, really high. So, um, so they kind of have, I mean, then you think like we're Patterson. I know they didn't recruit him, but still, I mean, he was a borderline five-star prospect. Well, and he gave them two years of starter. I guess yes. that's where I'm saying is right. I, I think, right. you know, that there are, quarterback and offensive line are the two positions where the stars are kind of um, can vary a lot or in in terms of who turns out to be really, really good. But there are people who spend a lot of time about, I mean, there were quarterbacks who the nation of analysts and and recruiting people thought were better. So I'm just, I I, I, purely from a non-recruiting perspective, I guess if you had asked fans the biggest thing that Jim Harbaugh would add to Michigan, I have to think the ability to recruit a five-star quarterback would have been, now he has one, J.J. McCarthy, right? So maybe I think, but I think that by and large, from strictly the recruiting aspect, that they've done a good job. It just has been that they haven't. You think it's a development? I mean, if you're, you know, McCaffrey was a borderline top 100. Peters was like, we just said, is just outside of five-star status. Milton, I don't remember where he ended. I think we had him as a three, but the composite had him as a four. I think but, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, strictly recruiting wise, because like here's the other thing is like like you said, quarterback, offensive line, kind of the harder ones to project as far as I look at it as I think Michigan has recruited the quarterback position fine as far as these were the guys that they really, really wanted. Mm-hmm. So I think you, I'd almost talk myself into arguing that maybe the development has been the problem, you know, because yeah. they're not getting there. It's not a position where maybe there've been a couple other positions where they've had to go pretty far down their board. Cause they keep missing on a, B and C, you know, and they got to go to D or whatever. It's like quarterback is one of the positions where it feels like more often than not, they've been getting, you know, one of the guys that they really wanted 20 kind of being the exception with Valari because of the whole J.D. Johnson 
situation. But even sure, then, yeah. even then, JD Johnson was again probably not quite like top one, two, or three guys they wanted, but he was definitely a top four or five target for them, which to me, as contentious as recruiting the, the elite quarterbacks is in the country, if you're getting one of your top three or four targets in your class, you're you more often than not get truly getting a guy you feel like you can win football games with. I mean, there aren't, you know, great quarterbacks or potentially great quarterbacks don't grow off trees. If you're getting one of your top, top guys in your class, you're feeling pretty good. And so it's, it comes back on recruiting because you could argue maybe they, maybe the eval wasn't, maybe they haven't evaluated properly, you know, or I was be, just going to ask. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's one thing for them to get their, one of their top targets. Could it be that their evaluations? That's, that's the mystery, right? Yeah. Is, is, is it actually the development or did this guy not have it in the first place? You know, and, and, um, I don't know if the jury is still out with Peters, I guess. I think winning and succeeding at Illinois is going to be difficult. But he but he did walk right in and start for another Big Ten team right away. And uh, you know, so yeah, it's just yeah, it's a that's the whole quarterback deal is pretty fascinating. But I think they've strictly from a who they wanted standpoint, they've recruited really well. The question is, yeah, is it is it poor eval? Which at that point would be poor eval on both the industry and the coaching staff or is it the, just the actual development aspect of it you know and i think that's that's a question we'll probably never really get a full or accurate answer on because nobody's gonna you know coach isn't gonna come out and say yeah we, we really stunk at developing these guys like <laughs> right you know, so. right yeah yeah i mean this is the outsider perspective you would be very hard pressed to find a head coach Honestly, this almost speaks in credit to Harbaugh that he has had the modest success that he has had despite none of the first, if you count Gentry, four quarterback recruits that he had really ever became a starter for Michigan. You know, it's just, it's that, that puts you in a big hole. I think about now most of the top teams have had a couple good coaching tenures in a row. They didn't necessarily inherit a five and seven program but yeah it's very hard to not get a quarterback that you feel is like your starting quarterback or becomes your starting quarterback I should say until your fourth recruiting class or third and a half however you want to view the 2015 class uh anyway let's take a quick break we're going to transition to the coaching changes the cases for and against making changes um we'll even talk about head coaching candidates just just a little bit uh along with what can happen the rest of this season? Plenty more to come from the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. We'll be back in just a moment. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time 
every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, thanks for waiting. We are back, and let's start with Don Brown. Um couple questions here from Jay Brandamore said yesterday, John Brown was on a local Detroit radio show and expressed shock that his defense was getting criticism. Is he really this obtuse? Um, and then another question from, I'm going to guess Elia FD says, do you see a scenario in which an almost complete staff turnover, similar to Brian Kelly, at Notre Dame after their four and eight season could save the Jim Harbaugh era? Um, next one from Tyler Patterson. How would you handle Don Brown for the rest of the season as well as past this season? It seems like the defensive structure slash recruiting are hindering the team long-term. Um, I think those were the Don Brown quite, Oh, JTOG X. This might be a different discussion later on in the episode. How easy is it to get a completely new defense mid season um, I think there's a little bit of a tongue in cheek with that one. So with those questions in mind, I think we can probably just shelve the Josh Gaddis um, discussions, but Don Brown, if you're Michigan, what, what do you do with him for the rest of the season? Do you make him make changes? Do you kind of stick with what you spent the whole off season practicing do you do you make a I, I I personally don't think a firing midseason actually helps Michigan. I think if it I think the only th- reason it would help is if the players are done with him. If the players are like this is not working, we're we're you know he, if he's kind of lost the defensive players a little bit, if it's falling on deaf ears, then you make a change. But they're already, um, I mean, safeties coach Bob Shoop, as far as we know is not coaching on the field. So they're already down one assistant. If they got rid of Don Brown, then it would probably be Mike Zordich as the defensive coordinator. I'm not exactly sure what Michigan would do. So Steve, if you are Ward Manuel, Jim Harbaugh, what is your discussion with Don Brown right now about the rest of this season? I mean, I I guess I think we kind of, kind of brush it earlier. I, I just think you got to give him the rest of the year. I think he's at least earned. I mean, and again, this is unless like things just go completely off the rails. Right. I mean, if they take a team like Maryland who just beat Penn state and did squeak by Minnesota, a game that Michigan should win every year. If they go out and get completely embarrassed against a team like Maryland offense, like from the defensive standpoint, you know, then maybe, you know, then the optics become 
there's no justification keeping this guy. We might, why not make a change now so that we, when, when we lose the Ohio state game, which they would, if they get beat by Maryland, they're sure as hell not going to beat Ohio state. Right. Um, you know, to maybe at least give that kind of soothe the PR and that, Hey, we, we are looking to make a change. We would, we want to fix this. We want to find the right guy to do it. Otherwise. I mean, if you start to see some improvement, which I think you're going to see some improvement. I just don't know if it'll be enough, right? I mean, I I, I don't. I could be very surprised if we don't see Michigan's defense show some significant signs of improvement. The matter, the the question will just be, what does that mean, and and is it enough in the grand scheme of things? But I do think he's earned a long enough leash to at least see out the rest of the year. And like you, I fully agree. I think a mid-season change, barring a doomsday scenario where Michigan's not winning any game. You know, if they're getting beat every Saturday the next three or four weeks, then I think it's a real discussion, but you know, otherwise I think he's earned the opportunity to at least finish out the season and, and see where they improve heading into next year, I guess. So, yeah, I've always looked at it like this mid season firings. That's a pro thing that's what the the pro leagues do nfl nhl nba mlb because they don't have recruits to appease they don't have players to appease they can if a player doesn't is mad about the firing well they can trade him away and get a different one or they can just not re-sign him you don't really hear about it in that sense but so i think i think a mid-season firing could appease fans but i think the the structure of the program probably does not benefit from a midseason firing. Again, if it becomes a situation where Michigan's recruits are like, hey, I don't know if I want to play for this guy, and the players on, on the team are kind of like, we're kind of done with him, then yeah, maybe a decision does like that does make sense. But I think we'll talk about this more with Jim Harbaugh. I, I think the program is in a tough spot where they're, they actually have something to lose by making drastic changes both in recruiting and with the current players, uh, with how easily players can transfer or go, go pro early or whatever. Um, they actually have something to lose. So they have to keep that in mind as mad as fans are. You know, cause you say he's earned the right to finish out this. I don't know if he's earned the right to finish out the season, but it doesn't benefit Michigan this year or next year to make a change right now, unless they have a home run hire put on the tee and they know exactly who they're going to get, and who knows? Maybe they can make a change. I haven't, I haven't heard of that. Usually, it's going to be an interim coach. But yeah, unless there's someone sitting out there ready to leave their current job and become Michigan's defensive coordinator, uh, don't I don't think it makes a ton of sense as far as to like uh, J. Tog X's thing. How, how easy it to get a completely new defense midseason? I hate to tell Michigan fans this. Um, it's not, you know, this, this team practice, they had the longest off season ever. And this is what they've got. You know, you saw, I think you saw it against Michigan state too, but, but especially against Indiana, a little bit more zone, uh, some changes. I think urban Myers comment about the defense yesterday, Steve, I, I don't know if you saw it, but um, he brings up a point that might be something to keep in mind is that a lot of the mistakes, especially in past coverage, they're not they're you know they can be schematic mistakes in the sense that the scheme is not right for the players 
but it's a lot of fundamental stuff. Looking at the ball at the wrong time, uh, keeping your head down at the wrong time, your you think their feet got crossed up a couple times. That stuff's fixable. But yeah, Michigan probably won't be able to get its entire team to effectively play a different identity of defense mid-season. It's it's not quite as extreme as switching from pro style to spread mid-season on offense, but it's it's similar. I mean, it's these players are are recruited, developed, taught one way and then they're asked to change it on 5 days notice. I don't think that's um I don't think that's effective. Now, maybe against Rutgers, I guess we'll see. But against a team that that maybe that isn't Wisconsin, maybe they can do a two-week build build up to that maybe Penn State game. Um, yeah, I, I I I'm with you. Whether it, it whether Michigan fans want to hear it or not, I don't think it actually benefits them to make a firing mid-season at least right now because again there have been situations i think oklahoma a couple years ago fired the defensive coordinator mid-season minnesota actually fired now their defense is pretty bad this year but they fired their defensive coordinator i want to say the 2017 season yeah but they had an interim coach who was super popular with the players and he stepped in i think he was qualified to be a dc as well like i think he'd been a dc before um maybe kind of like an Ed Warner qualified type player or coach where he probably could have been the coordinator. And he stepped in and did a, did a really nice job. And the players were just buying in on what he, he did a little bit more often. I, I think he, he kind of had the locker room more, so to speak. I don't know if Michigan has that. I, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. So that's where we're at with Don Brown. I, I, so that officially puts us in the camp that Michigan probably does not benefit from making a midseason firing either way. Now let's talk about Jim Harbaugh. And we put him at a six or a seven on the hot seat tracker. But the question of how realistic is it that Jim Harbaugh won't be coaching Michigan in 2021? So as far as the firing goes... Once again, we're probably bringing a lot of news that Michigan fans don't want to hear. Michigan as a athletic department throughout history has been very slow about making coaching firings. I mean, I think about Rich Rod. I mean, it was like, it had to be like so painfully obvious before they actually fired him. Brady Hoke. I guess there was some justification after 2013 that things would be different, but I, I honestly, Steve, I remember that 2013 Buffalo Wild Wings Bowl and yeah, thinking that was, was bad. Probably, I mean, he Brady Hoke felt like a lame duck coach throughout all of 2014. Um, Lloyd Carr stepped down, but but I remember there was some. Con- I was a little bit younger then, but I remember there being some consternation about maybe they should move. A little quickly get a get a replacement ready uh that has never it michigan has really they've only made firings when it was like very obvious that they needed to from my understanding and so i don't know if it's gotten i mean if they go three and six because they'll play that ninth game no matter what um that might be obvious enough but but steve i guess we we've put him 
on a warm to hot hot seat, do you think it's realistic that Michigan fires him? I, I think it's honestly more likely that he would leave on his own terms or that Michigan would tell him to leave on his own terms. Um, but knowing kind of what you know about the athletic department, do you, do you think this is a scenario where they are lining up a change to be made? Lining up? I don't, I don't think so. Not yet anyway. Um, I saw like, you know, do you put feelers out just to kind of see without really doing anything, you know, that that maybe in a couple of weeks, depending on where we're at, but I don't know. The more I thought, the more I thought about it over the weekend, a little, the more I think about it, I just, I just don't see him making a change period. I think he's back next year. Um, again, unless, and again, the doomsday type scenario is a real, is a possibility here. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but just if they were to like lose out or go to yeah, two or three wins, then maybe, but again, I, I just, and this, maybe we could bring in the, the Brian Kelly. Yep discussion here where you know Notre Dame stuck with Brian Kelly after a four and eight year and I think that was his what fifth or sixth year in the program with, yeah he, the he'd Irish, been there right? for a while yeah, yeah. <laughs> has a four and eight year they stick with him after that he hasn't won less than 10 games a year since um, that it just I feel like Harbaugh at Michigan would be afforded a similar sort of rebound opportunity just because the program is in a way better spot. I look at it this way, I guess. The program is in a way better spot than it was when he got here, is despite this one and two start. B, you and I have talked a lot about we really like the, the last two recruiting classes they've brought in, the 19 and 20 recruiting classes. Look, and have really have already produced, especially 19, have produced better than 17 for sure. You know, I feel like he'd be given an opportunity to either – I don't know if it'd be like a, a one of those like you need to make a complete overhaul type deal, you know, and you could still you could still run it or or if it would just be trusting him when he says, I know we can turn this around and, and just having mutual understanding there. But uh, I don't, the more – and I'm not saying – I'm not advocating either position. I just – the more I've just – thought about it and think about how this is going to work, go down. I, I just, I don't see them making a change. Uh, the contract stuff kind of throws a little bit of a, I was just going to ask. So if you think he's back next year, do you think he, boy, and that's where, okay. So that's, and it's interesting because I've never looked at the lack of the new contract as being anything like as, as much as like as big, as big a deal as people have made it out to be. But given the way the season is playing out now, because again, here's the thing we never would have, if, if we thought they were one and two right now, well, I don't think anybody thought literally anybody thought Michigan would be one and two right now. Right. So it, it creates a whole different set of circumstances that we weren't even maybe prepared to discuss, you know, three or four weeks ago. I don't think we ever thought this was a possibility, especially the way they came out in week one, you know, everyone patting them on the back and stuff. Um, it's, it is a precarious spot with the contract because now it's a legitimate recruiting disadvantage for them. Right. Right. And so, and I want to say, 
you know, I don't know if, you know, can they do what USC did with Clay Helton, you know, and, and cause I pretty, I think Helton was pretty much brought back on a one year type situation. And to me, I just think that's, I, I don't know, you know, I think that's going to hurt recruiting as much, you know, as a letting him go. Cause I think letting him go or him not returning next year, I, I think is people be careful, would be careful what you wish for, because I think you would yeah. see recruiting would take a nosedive. And I think you'd have a lot of current players that would probably leave the program, ironically, because of the one-year rule. That I was going to say, this is like the worst year to make a controversial firing because yeah. now, yeah. you know, players always hit the portal when their coach gets fired. But now it could be, it could literally be 30 players. Yep. And could so, leave and go play somewhere immediately. Yeah. So it really, it really, really increases the stakes to make a change, you know, and so. You know, that's been my big, that was my big thought over the weekend when thinking about it was, you know, I still think the cons outweigh the pros in this situation. When you consider how much that with the portal, you know, and recruiting, they would, it, it'd have to be what we just talked about with Don Brown, as far as having a home run guy in the wings, it'd have to be that to like the fullest extent. You'd ha- it'd have to be a no doubt type hire. And I'm not even close to convinced that there's someone out there that fits that bill. Right. So, you know, it is, that's why I was like, I'm about to write a piece fans. I can't wait to hear it, but that this <laughs> is like Michigan. This is a potential recruiting nightmare for Michigan right now. Um, you lose your in-state rival, your biggest recruiting rival, which Notre Dame is Michigan's biggest recruiting rival. In my opinion, maybe the number one ranked team in the country. And then Ohio State's not going anywhere. Right. Then you have the uncertainty with the contract, the one and two start. I mean, Michigan's going to have to work really hard to keep the class they have intact and have to work hard. They they have to, it's that to me, it's the recruiting is the biggest reason in a season that now, even if they win out, will ultimately still probably end in a bowl game or whatever. Like winning now is more important than it's ever been for them as far as recruiting goes because they've, put themselves in a good spot with a lot of 22s, but if they keep losing these games, they're going to torpedo all that early momentum that they had, you know, and it's going to end with it. Then you add in the, the looming specter of a potential coaching change, which again, Michigan may have no intention of making a coaching change right now, but it doesn't mean that the media is not writing and pounding that story every single week and kids and their families read that stuff. So um, it is. Yeah they are going to have to work really hard to keep the class they have intact. I feel like, and you know, (laughs) you you don't think Brian Kelly is telling Donovan Edwards right now, like, Hey, we're the number one team in the country and need a running back. Yeah. Michigan, (laughs) not going anywhere. (laughs) Yeah. Look at, they ran for 19 yards against Indiana last week and they don't know what the heck their rotation is. And the head coach might not even be there next year. Like, um, Yeah danger zone for recruiting for sure. Absolutely. So trying to hit on some of these questions, Derek Fonts asked how typical or not do major programs have their coaches renew contracts well in advance of them expiring? Like with one year left on Jim Harbaugh's contract, is it normal to not revisit that late into this late into the contract? Yeah. Michigan's in a very abnormal spot 
with the contract. And to me, that is uh, really, honestly, stupid on Michigan's part. It just, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know what, why on earth would you not have done this a year ago or even two years ago? I mean, I get he's an expensive uh, head coach. I get he's been controversial nationally in terms of like, is he good or not good? But I mean, you know, I remember John Beeline got extended like seven years out and people were kind of wondering about his age and, and I don't know if John Beeline ever was in a situation where he was going to finish out his contract, but you at least extend it for recruiting. You know, if a, if a recruit is asking coaches, hey, you're only extended this far ahead, that's a sign that it's time to, time to extend a guy. Even if you end up having to eat some of the money, if there's a buyout or whatever. But Steve, I don't, I don't know about you. What on earth, if Ward Manuel, I mean, he said for like four straight years, he wants Jim Harbaugh to end his career at Michigan. You know, he wants him to be a coach at Michigan for, the, for a lifetime contract. Why not sign him beyond 2021? That's just nonsense. That is so strange. No, no, I think it's actually been pointed out. No, Jim Harbaugh's contract is the shortest of any power five coach in the country right now. Sure. Before this one and two start, that that was very bizarre, given that we people would ask us, is Jim Harbaugh on the hot seat? And we'd be like, no. Well, if he's not, then sign him. Even if it's, you know, I, I had heard some some light rumors. This is not something I, I felt were strong enough reports that I would turn into a story, but rumors that a contract was being discussed and that it was going to have a low buyout. And this was right before the pandemic hit. So I get why um, I get, I get kind of the, why they paused it during the pandemic. I actually do agree with Jim Harbaugh's bigger fish to fry situation. I think optically it would be a very weird predicament for Michigan to, you know, be laying off what 26 athletic right. department employees while, you know, giving Jim Harbaugh 7 million a year into the future. Um, I agree with that, but I, I'd very curious what, what, what the heck was Michigan and Jim Harbaugh? What, what were they doing this whole time? I mean, there was a lot of talk about how he wants to be at Michigan forever. Commit to it then both parties. Sure. Uh, you know, even if it's a low buyout, thing where you know it's, he has an exit strategy to the nfl if things go south do something because yeah you're absolutely right this is a nightmare situation were you gonna ask a question no well sort of like do you think if if covid had never hit do you think that some kind of agreement would have been made this spring or summer so yes i think what had been floated out there was a two-year extension which is enough to you know, kind of appease the recruiting part of things with a with a buyout that was like one or two million if he left early from it. So it's I think it's a full buyout right now. If if they get rid of him, they have to pay his upcoming year. But I think in the future it was going to be lower. Because one thing to also consider, you know, I've mentioned this a couple times. Jim Harbaugh's a really competitive guy. He's also not an idiot. Um, if they were struggling seven years in, 
there's a part of me that wonders like would he want to continue so anyway i had there had been stuff floating around about there being a pretty low buyout extension of two years which would sign him through 2023 yeah to me honestly that should have been done right well now they're in a very strange that they didn't do that and it looks more it's it's gonna look not yeah now like that's what i mean and that's where this is like compounded itself is you know it's like let's just say they lose on saturday what do you you can't justify you know it's like does he run to the table now and say okay let's get this he can't get a raise yeah Yeah. that's that's what i mean and so you know it that's where the optics of Again, this has been it's it's already been a pretty weird college football season. I'm not saying that Michigan struggles are weird. It's clear that they're just they're they're not as good as we thought they were going to be. But you know, it just it again all everything that has happened, particularly out not even with just the losses, but just like I said with Notre Dame amping it up and now looking like a playoff team for sure. Michigan mm-hmm. State losing to Michigan State. It's like all these events now with this contract thing added in, I mean, it's just, it makes almost whatever Michigan does, there's going to be a lot of criticism. And so, you know, it'll be fascinating. I think a short-term type deal might be the best option for both parties at this point. And, and, but I, you know, again, it, what does Michigan do? Like, you know, the same, let's say the opposite, let's say they beat Wisconsin. Then do you do it? You know, like, it's just, do you, cause I don't know if honestly, well, let me pivot. Let me add a question real quick to this because Andrew Smith brings up a good question. Um, does the fan sentiment that Michigan needs to probably move on from Harbaugh, is that shared by the athletic department? If it is, what does Harbaugh need to do to save his job? If it isn't, what has to happen for him to lose it? And that's a great point. Like how many, you know, if they beat right. uh, Wisconsin, Rutgers, Penn State, do you extend him right then? And then hope that they hold their own against Ohio state. Do you wait for, I mean, I, I don't see a situation this season where they have a real chest pounding circumstance where they can extend him. And then suddenly, I mean, I, I, I can't even come up with a scenario where a coach, where a head coach in the power five was coaching in a contract year. I have never heard of that. Right. And now I'm sure it happened years, decades ago, you know, when I was either too young or, or maybe not even born yet, but um, I have never heard of, of a power five head coach coaching in a contract year. Nonsense. Well, and, and like, th- think of it this way. You think if a contract was to be extended now, people would flip out based on how they've played last two weeks. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, um, what? But imagine trying to do it after, if Ohio state wins by two or three touchdowns again in, in a, in a few weeks, mm-hmm. like there's the, the reaction is going to be uproar no matter, you know, whether he is the best guy to, to stay on or they should look elsewhere, which I think we've already talked, you know, debatable or whatever. But it's it's one of those things where I could see, like, I, it, it'd be totally understandable for fans to be completely justified in, like, saying, are you kidding me? Like, we just got smacked by Ohio State for the third straight year, and that that's a, that earns a contract extension at Michigan. You know, that's that should be room for firing. You know, it, 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 if you're if they're supposed to be, this is supposed to be Michigan, you know, and so, yeah, um, yeah I, it's fascinating dynamics, man. Because, or do you play out the season, and again, let's say Ohio State beats Michigan handily again, do you just kind of wait it out, wait it out, and then, 
you know, act like you're deliberating and then announce a contract. You know what I mean? It's just um, Mm -hmm. how, yeah, it's unfortunately due to circumstances that, again, I don't think this is, it's obviously not the way Harbaugh intended it. I've actually always taken him at his word when he discusses the contract stuff and just saying like, because the, the tenor of that discussion has always more been, does Harbaugh want to be here still? Not is Harbaugh actually the right guy for the job? You know, the dynamic of answering that contract question has completely changed now. Yeah. Right. Well, and so, yeah. And that's, that's where Michigan screwed us. That yes, exactly. for a long time. It was like, Oh, Harbaugh will never like fully say he wants to be at Michigan forever and ever. He, he hasn't necessarily committed to that. Yeah. What NFL uh, jobs have popped up this off season? <laughs> Crap. Do we have to worry about the Cowboys again? Or do we have to worry about the bears? Cause that's reportedly that's where he's always wanted to coach the Chicago bears. <laughs> you know, now it's actually, it's done a complete 180. And it's like, at least from a fan sentiment standpoint, does he actually, do we actually think this is the right guy now? You know, yeah. and I think that's where the, I think even on his end, and maybe this is a tragic flaw here, is I think he almost felt like he's been doing Michigan a favor by saying, don't worry about the contract. Like, I'm not going anywhere. You have my word. I'm not going back to the NFL. I have no interest in doing so. I want to, <laughs> I want to be here. Let's just worry about this, you know, down the road or, or, you know, it'll be done quickly or whatever. Now it's, yeah, it's like, now it's like, uh, well, actually, you know, it's it's just, that's, it's fascinating, man. Weird stuff. Absolutely. It's, it's, um, it is interesting. We had a couple questions about the, uh, well, actually I, I skipped over Kevin's before, so I'm going to ask it now. He says, is it me or does it really seem like coach Harbaugh has lost his, uh, fire, energy, desire to be a football coach. I think Harbaugh can be and has been a great coach, but it seems like he has just lost interest. Now, he acknowledges that that's his view from a fan, kind of watching on TV, listening to press conferences. That's something you actually brought up on, on Sunday, and I kind of I brushed it to the side maybe more than I meant to uh, in terms of his energy and demeanor. It has definitely, at least the public part of it has definitely decreased. Um, you know, I remember in 2015, 2016, it was like every press conference was a, he'd say something quirky and weird and it'd be a national story. And that kind of started dying in 2017 uh, and really hasn't come back since. And then the on-field uh, antics, I felt like he was pretty animated arguing calls on Saturday, but obviously there's now a penalty I think people have jokingly called it the Harbaugh rule where you can't you can't leave the sideline by too much. They actually have assistance holding coaches back. Um, I, I know I've watched a couple of Clemson games. They have like two guys holding Venables back every single snap, basically. Um, do, I, Steve, in, in your opinion, has let's I mean, publicly, I think it has. I have heard that it was some someone in his kind of inner circle advising him like hey quit the quit the antics just coach football kind of a do more say less uh counsel do you sense in in and i'm i think one way we can look at this and kind of because we can't see open practices we don't see practices anymore do you sense on the recruiting trail is there less energy less fire this year than maybe two three four years ago not necessarily no i mean i feel like they've They've been as aggressive as ever Sure. on the recruiting trip. Matter of fact, I thought during the pandemic, we talked about this before we talked about this on the recruiting insider pod. 
is I felt like they kind of maximized their opportunities in the spring and summer as far as they were pretty innovative in, in, in using Zoom for conducting like personal workout type conversations with kids. Uh, also just being honestly like more aggressive than I remember them being, particularly with the, the sophomore class, which for those that don't know, you can't, you can't contact kids until their junior year on September 1st. It has to be on the kid to contact you before that. Well, Michigan seemed to do a much better job of, you know, working the high school coach to say, Hey, I have the kid call me on this day or whatever. Then you talk to the kid and you say, okay, we, we, we're going to meet, we're going to talk every Thursday at three or something like that. You know, Michigan did a much better job of setting that, that type of table with the younger classes, which to me is as important as anything in recruiting, but uh, no, I mean, yeah, that I agree though, that there's been, you know, there's no, no more of the climbing trees, you know, type stuff. And it, it, it does. That's kind of, I kind of laughed at the, uh, if he, if he actually had a do more, say less counsel. Um, yes. So I, I think it, it wasn't like do more, say no. less, but it was kind of like, stop making the press conference about the goofy stuff, yeah. you know, yeah. get, get through the press conference, but focus on coaching the football team. Well, interesting. I, I don't see it. Cause I never saw any downside to his quirkiness necessarily. I I, yeah. Cause I think well, that's where maybe the, the old school, approach because that's very that's a very 80s thing it's like don't be goofy now you look at the best coaches they're they're press conference darlings i mean Dabo swinney is great impressors james franklin when he's not showing his paintball scars he's he's great impressors pj fleck uh you know i think most reporters are kind of rolling their eyes but he's really good you know pretty i mean it's really saban harbaugh and like a few, a select Ryan day, I think is great at pressers, Lincoln Riley, same. Um, it's really Saban and Harbaugh and like a few other holdovers from past eras. Sure. Most people, it, it kind of benefits you to be good with the media. I mean, that's what, that's what, well, it, see a little it, bit. yes. And so I a hundred percent agree with that. James Franklin being the quintessential example, in my opinion, as far as that goes. So, um, but the energy on the field. So the funny thing was on Saturday when Vincent Gray made that pass breakup, it was like Harbaugh, yeah. was the only, Harbaugh was the only one or like looked like the most energetic guy on there to like, we, know, we joked in the press box just real quick that, that we thought maybe Harbaugh thought Gray had an interception because yeah, his reaction was so much more than like anybody would have thought for right. a pass breakup. Right. You know, but that's, that's what was interesting to me. I thought almost in a funny way, seeing him react was it, it, to me, it was, I looked more, it was like the, the rest of the sideline didn't really react as. Did, did, I don't know if you read my story. I wrote about that. I thought Michigan sideline was very comatose as a stretch. Cause there was energy. They looked, you know, there was, there was a lot of high fiving. There was like this stuff, but compared to Indiana, it was yeah, just did, low energy. Yeah. Yep. Indiana looked like they wanted to make history. Michigan looked like it wanted to like get through the football game. Sure. So I don't, I don't, that's a tough one. Cause we don't know what the it's, practices are I was like. going to say that's we, the key. We, yeah. Like we don't know how it's, how things are run on a day-to-day basis. I just, I have a hard time believing that he's like just become a completely like docile, like just no, you know, I, I, I don't, we hear that. different rumblings and rumors throughout, throughout the, years 
I have never heard that his energy was gone. I definitely think there are, I think 2017, I think the, the fact that the team wasn't as good as he had hoped, I think that got to him a little bit. I had ne- I've, I have not heard that his energy is gone in practice. So we don't know. I mean, that's, I'm sorry, that's not a definitive answer, but I think it's less, I think he's, the energy decline is less than fans are making it out to be. I do think it's, it's not nothing. I mean, I think his press conference approach has changed. I think his approach during games has changed. And so it's something, something to keep an eye on because the team is now one and two, Uh, you know, does he bring some of that captain comeback fire? Does he bring maybe a little bit of what worked at Stanford when he had a young team that was kind of building towards something? Curious, I think that will be telling. That will be telling for like what he wants to do and what what he wants to make out of the rest of his time at Michigan, however long that is, is what how does he approach a one and two start? Because I know in 2015, if they had started one and two, there still would have been tons of energy. So what does it look like in year six uh let's talk jordan eggleston asked the question uh no realistic thinking person believes jim harbaugh would be fired uh as we kind of talked about probably true uh with the athletic department seems like they're they were pretty content with him when he was what 47 and 18 i think through six or through five seasons uh but let's say he steps down after the season for whatever reason you have your choice from these four coaches, and I'm going to add a couple more. Rank them one to four uh, can be your choice or most realistic dealer's choice. So it's up to us. PJ Fleck, Luke Fickle, Matt Campbell, Kyle Whittingham. I will add Mario Cristobal from Oregon. And I'm trying to think if there was another one that I kind of saw. If you want to add anyone else, you're welcome to as well. So, this is candidates who are not internal hires, who are not coordinators somewhere, who are head coaches in college football right now. What do you think of that list? Who stands out the most to you? If you want to rank them, feel free. What are your thoughts? Of that group, I probably Chris Dobel would be my number one pursuit i know that wasn't on the yeah i added him yeah yeah but i think that's i think he's he's, you know when you first said i'm like there's no way oregon would let him go they have all that nike money they have um you know everything's working for them he's only making two and a half million right uh florida if florida state could lure willie taggart out of oregon to go there then michigan could lure oregon's head coach to come out there that's that was my thought there at least from a financial standpoint you would think but because i do think oregon could increase his salary i don't know if they increase it to seven yeah right and the big thing with him recruiting right he's he is one of the best head coach recruiters in the country i still think the jury's out on oregon a little bit but as far as, you know, Justin Herbert was a big driver behind the team's success, but they looked good in week one. And they've, they're already 
like one of those teams where like they're just recruiting such good players that they're going to be good because they just have a lot of good players in their team. Like they ran Noah Sewell out there who's the younger brother of uh, Penny Sewell, who will probably be a top five pick in next year's draft. Uh, ran him out there, true freshman, first game he was a five-star guy, just looked like a freaking stud. Like, he looks like a future first-round draft pick in the NFL. So, like, he just – they have a way – and actually, on top of that, one of the things that actually kind of not convinced me or talked me into Cristobal, but maybe a little bit, at least, again, if this is where we end up, was my trip down to Hilton Head when I saw Jalen Sneed, the top 100 guy, Who's, who I actually would argue that Oregon was in the lead for right now, which you wouldn't think a Oregon would lead for a kid out of Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. But his head coach had, had made a comment to me to say that, you know, Oregon does all of the little things as far as, at least in, in their instance of where, how the way they're recruiting this kid, you know, that Oregon does all the little things to put it over the top. And he said, if Oregon was, closer than they were <laughs> right now as far as like just from a distance standpoint well he even said it doesn't even have to be close to south carolina but just somewhere that's not all the way across the country because right you could argue there, there might not be two points in the country that are further away than uh it's, it'd be close <laughs> you know what i mean like oregon yeah. <laughs> definitely fighting a distance battle there but he said he's like I, I would almost think he'd already be committed if that staff wow. was at a closer program. Well, cause I was going to say, you mentioned crystal. I mean, they have what back to back top 10 recruiting classes Yeah, working on another one this year. There too. is not a lot of in-state talent to work with. No. I mean, that they is a re- national recruitment. They nailed Southern California too, which is something yep. I argued Michigan should have done even more of Michigan's done okay in California. Don't get me wrong. I don't think they've done poorly, but with USC, you know, Helton kind of in that lame duck situation and who knows what UCLA is doing with Chip Kelly. Stanford's down a little bit. Yes, absolutely. I mean, Oregon just ran, beat Stanford pretty easily on Saturday. So, you know, they hit Southern California really, really, really hard, which to me wasn't so much about the fact that Oregon went into Southern. It it was to me, he understands recruiting. He understands that they they would have, if they were ever going to get in there, that'd be the time. That's what an elite recruiter does. It's the same thing Urban Meyer did with Ohio State going into Texas. You know, took advantage of a situation where he, you know, understood Ohio State's a national brand. I have a national, I have a reputation of winning and, and recruiting really well. Texas, Texas A&M were both down under Charlie Strong, Kevin Sumlin. He went in there and raided Texas and really was one of the primary drivers between Ohio State's success, not just under Meyer, but even last year, you know, a guy like Dobbins still. Uh, was mm-hmm. a five-star kid who probably would have went to Texas or Texas A&M if either of those programs had been any good. So, you know, that that was my biggest thing. You know, I think I think what you're seeing in college football more and more, obviously we, it's almost been pretty much proven that the programs that elite the best talent are the ones that win. And I think you can get away with, like, having a head coach who – I don't know what Cristobal, as far as an X's and O's type situation, obviously they're, they're winning. So he's got to know something, but if you can hire a big name head coach who can recruit top five, top six, seven classes each year, and you hire two really good coordinators to go around them, I think you can win big in college football. And so I guess he's kind of the one guy I look at as far as like, that's not completely unviable or not viable you know, that I think Michigan would be, that would be a potential fit at Michigan, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I think 
I think they actually do need to hire a really good recruiter. Um, Have because, to. Again, with the transfer situation, I if if again these are all the ifs. We waited the, a long time in this episode to do the hypotheticals. If Jim Harbaugh is gone, a lot of players are going to look at transferring. But if you bring in Cristobal, either a, a lot of players will say, "Well, hold on, now this guy's got a pretty nice pitch, and he's done well at Oregon," or b. Cristobal could probably bring a bunch of players. And again, this is a hypothetical. We have no idea if he wants the job. We have no idea if he wants to stay at Oregon. Um, probably an easier path to the college football playoff, to be perfectly honest. Um, maybe a slightly easier recruiting because they've had more success in the last 15 years than Michigan. Closer to the West Coast. Probably about the same weather. I'm not entirely sure, but... Um, the other, the other thing, real quick, that is interesting as far as he goes. He's a Florida native, very well respected in Florida, and has now established himself as with the ability to recruit on the West Coast, and also coach at Alabama <laughs> under Nick Saban. So he has succeeded from a recruiting standpoint at some of the most talent-rich. Right. Yeah. Areas of the country, you know? So I think that adds another dynamic to a lot of connections. Yes. And like, again, I, I, you know, has to me, it has to be somebody who can recruit right off the bat, not can't be an who, NFL assistant. Yeah. Be. Yep. Even that even goes for, I I'm not on board, like another name. And I don't know if that was one of the four that were mentioned, but like, I've seen people mention Joe Brady. Um, I just, that name to me was, would not be that exciting. Honestly, he, Joe Burrow was maybe one of the best college quarterbacks in history. And he had what three legit. I mean, you see what Jordan Jefferson has done already in Minnesota. Uh, Jamar Chase will be a first round draft pick. I don't know. Uh, that name doesn't really excite me that much. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I get where it's exciting. Cause you think he's one of you. One would think he's one of the best minds in football, offensively speaking. Uh, so, you know, is it like the Lincoln Riley type hire? But no, I I think they need a proven recruiter. Um, of the other four names, sorry, we end up spending time talking about the name. You didn't mention Jordan, but um, Matt Campbell, Luke Fickle, PJ Fleck. Whittingham is extended through 2027 at Utah. I think he just did an extension. Um, I would I don't think he's viable. I think he's... Maybe he's as viable as Cristobal, but Fleck, Fickle, Campbell, guys who have Midwest roots, Midwest connections. Uh, of those three, I think Fickle is the one I would, if I were Ward Manuel, that I would go to first. I, I, I don't know if Manuel will ever do it because it's, you know, Fickle's as, as Ohio State as it gets. But I think one... I do think he would recruit Ohio well. Two, I think unlike Fleck and Campbell, I think he's actually gotten a little bit more over the hump in terms of wins. Campbell, I don't think he's won more than eight games in a year at Iowa State. Um, you know, as much as the Oklahoma wins are are encouraging for what he's done, I don't know if he's gotten to. I don't, he he'll he'll beat Oklahoma one week and lose to Louisiana two weeks prior. Sure. 
it's kind of one of those deals. So I'm not totally sold. I, I do think, you know, he's another guy did pretty well at Toledo. Um, PJ Fleck. I would be interested to see what Fleck could do on the recruiting trail, the big time program though. Cause he's, he is a good recruiter. I will. Give and I him think that. he knows how to find what he's looking for. Well, and so that's what I was actually going like to say. Bateman's about- a great example. I think of like, you know, it's not like that. Bateman was highly touted, but he wasn't like an amazing, you know, five-star recruit. Sure looks like one now. Right. That's what I was going to say about Campbell though, real quick. One thing about Matt Campbell, and again, I'm not advocating either way, but one thing that is for, from, from covering recruiting, I'm telling you, it, it's, it's interesting, but it always seems like Iowa state is one of those programs that always seems to offer guys that blow up before anybody else does. Okay. They always seem to have a good, he seems to have a really good eye for talent. And again, to me, that's not enough to just say, yeah, like <laughs> I think he could do it, but it is something I've, it, he's a, it, and this is well before anything about him in Michigan or, or anything. Matter of fact, this was more along the lines of when Ohio state was looking to replace urban or just how, well, how that was going to play out or whatever that Matt Campbell might get a look at Ohio state. Uh, that was the one, that's the one thing about him. I always remember is I just feel like, you know, say Michigan's pretty good at evaluating guys early too. Right. But Iowa state also is another one where it's like, and again, cause Iowa state's not going to get most of these guys, right. They, even if they identify an elite recruit earlier than most programs, they're going to have a hard time like bringing them in. But that's just always one thing I thought about, you know, with him is that, they do seem that he seems to have a really good eye at either identifying it himself or maybe he's good at evaluating guys that know how to evaluate talent, I guess. I don't know. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think I think all three hires, though, I would be – I don't know if I would call any of them home run hires because I, I just – I don't – I don't think – I don't think there's really a perfect candidate. Like, say Jim Harbaugh literally left tomorrow. I think I think there are reservations to be held with all three. I think the closest thing to a home run hire Michigan could get in under Jordan's premise is Cristobal. I think after that, I, I think there's a a drop off. Personally, I, I mean, you bring up a very I I'd not heard that about Matt Campbell. Um, something I, know, I thought of, just something I remember about him. You know, that's really the one thing I kind of take away with him. I know he's been linked to Ohio state and Notre Dame potential vacancies. Um, didn't get interviewed as far as I can tell, but I, I think he is someone that um, understands kind of the success or what it takes to be successful in the Midwest. And I think he's actually someone that I think he has connections to a couple Michigan assistants. Like they know him, like he wouldn't necessarily, it wouldn't have to be a complete overhaul of assistance. Cause I think that's one thing that's hurt Michigan in previous coaching hires is that, you know, you don't have to get rid of everybody. <laughs> like you can have a, you can change coaches. I mean, Ohio state, they changed I mean, that granted it was an internal hire. They changed coaches and like nothing else changed about the program. And that seemed to work for him. Now, Ohio State was already, um, the, the train was already going full speed. But, um, you know, that's that's something to keep in mind, especially as we mentioned with the potentials for transfer, with the fact Michigan, for, for having 
such a garbage program in the eyes of national media and for having a coach who uh, is on such a hot seat, both in the eyes of us and the national media, they have a pretty good recruiting class coming in. And so we'll see, we'll see how it finishes, of course. But, um, you know, I think a hire that doesn't sink the ship or doesn't blow things up and start over might, might actually be optimal for Michigan. Uh, even, even with this one and two start, Steve, is there anyone else? If you were in Ward Manuel's shoes under the premise that Jim Harbaugh is out of the picture, is there anyone else you would be calling up on the phone? Oh, geez. I mean, just names probably. I mean, there's nobody like right off the top of my head. Biggest reason why I don't have the salary numbers in front of me, you know, because that sure, would that be enough. one area where Michigan could be a few established guys out there that they could swipe away if the money was right, you know? So um, no, I feel like again, yeah. Under that premise, under this, this fictional scenario that the names that we just mentioned would probably, I assume would probably be among the first ones that we would, be hearing about i would think do you think offensive or defensive coordinator um do you think it's important for it to be an offensive or defensive guy no i think like i said i think i go back to what i said about i think it just needs to be a guy that can attract top talent to your program and then i think it just put put more emphasis on making sure you hire like the best coordinators possible to run those units you know i don't think the actual i don't think the head coach has to be a certain like position specialty or anything like that. I would say, I mean, it does kind of feel like, I don't know, like feels like, cause Castrobel, Castrobel made his name on the offensive line. Uh, you're actually weird. You're seeing Sam Pittman at Arkansas do an awesome job. In yeah. And year, year one as, little, as honestly a little strange to me at that. I did not see that coming. I don't, I didn't either, but really they should be four and two right now. I mean, they got robbed against, in the game against Auburn, the way that finished out, he should be four and two right now. I mean, that's, he's got to be. They were Rutgers bad. Yes. He's got to be national coach of the year, in my opinion. So um, maybe a name to talk about, maybe potentially consider there, I guess. I I don't know, but um, that's like almost talking yourself into it. But, you know, I think, I think it does not. I think it has to. The biggest thing has to be a guy that knows how to recruit, knows how the game works, knows how to get elite kids to come play at your program. So you try to make the best coordinator hires as possible. And if you have a good position coach on staff who can recruit at a high level, you know, you work to try to keep those guys. Cause I'm with you at it. Yeah. It does not have to be a situation where everybody's gone. You know, if, if it works out, even with the coordinators, if you'd come in and think Josh Gaddis is still the right guy to run the offense. And he's willing to work under a different head coach, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. I think the record is going to amplify how bad things are for Michigan this year. Um, probably closer to like a seven and five team from what I've seen so far. And you don't necessarily blow everything up when you go seven and five. Um, I know some fans want, want Michigan too, but uh, I think if I were Ward Manuel, kind of rounding up this discussion, I, I think I'd, would definitely interview Josh Gaddis. Um, weirdly, I almost feel like he's a better fit to be a head coach than an, I mean, this is not, I don't get to see practices, but I feel like his, his um, branding, his persona, how he approaches the media um, kind of how calculated he is with everything. I almost feel like he'd be a, 
uh, as good of a head coach as, a, as an offensive coordinator. Um, and I think his recruiting has been impressive so far. You know, I think he'd, and I think he'd be someone that could kind of keep the, the ship going. Cause as Jordan points out, you know, this isn't Michigan firing Jim Harbaugh. This is Jim Harbaugh leaving. And so definitely would, I would, if I were Ward Manuel, I would interview Josh Gaddis and find out kind of, does he check enough of the boxes to, to, you know, succeed in the role? Um, yeah, I know, I know people bring up Venables or trying to get into the Clemson tree. I'm not totally sold on that one. I don't know about you, Steve. Um, doesn't similar to maybe Joe Brady. It just doesn't, doesn't do a lot. Not me. at all. Honestly, yeah. one of the names I always hear mentioned, one of the least interesting to me, probably by a long shot. I, you know, great coordinator, but you know, Clemson, I think is running out eight top 100 guys on their defense every, every Saturday. So they weren't always, but at the same time, no. it's just, I, it's, Awkward I hire. I don't even, does he even have any, I think he was at Kansas state. Where else has he been? I mean, I mean, I don't even know if he has any ties to the Midwest at all. Not that that's like a necessity, but like, it just seemed like it would just seem like an awkward. He seems like a guy who's going to get hired in by whatever ACC or SEC program gets rid of their head coach. Like next. Yeah. You know what I mean, like, I feel like he'd stay in that geographical area. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, intense guy i mean i can see i can see where like the motivation hunger comes from i I did like i think he kind of i don't know if he started it but he kind of popularized the idea of like recruit a safety bulk him up have him play as a speedy undersized linebacker i think that was really smart on his part um you know the defensive line production it speaks for itself even before the recruiting necessarily was there uh but yeah just i don't know i don't know i think you know, recruiting's important. I also think having been a head coach probably can be important for Michigan because, um, well, they can say no. I mean, they're going to have some options under this hypothetical, but, um, but yeah, I think, I think we're in agreement that, that probably the top priority is keep, keep the program going, you know, don't rub everybody the wrong way. Uh, and then recruiting, as well let's see if i missed any questions oh jeff had one um well two uh who wins a big 10 title first indiana minnesota michigan state or michigan can i say none of the above in the next five years is that outrageous to say i mean but if we had to answer wouldn't your would your answer not still be michigan though yeah yeah i think so i mean indiana's interesting because Technically, right now they're like one upset win away from being in position to do so. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just it's just very hard for me to see Ohio State being toppled and and until Minnesota. I mean, I know they beat Wisconsin in what 2017. I don't know. I think there's still a separation there in the West. Um, yeah, I'd probably say Michigan, but I would maybe Minnesota just because I think their path to the title game is a little easier. Uh, and then he also asked how badly has the current university administration hampered Jim and the recruitment of players he needs and wants. I'm going to say none for the university administration, but Jeff asked another question. Is Jim hindered by the administration uh, telling Jim to quote pipe down? You're embarrassing us. I don't remember that quote. 
Uh, we don't need to win to be financially successful. I do remember that coming up. And football isn't a cornerstone of the university. I don't think that third part is is the is there anything that you would change about the athletic department in terms of producing a successful football program? That's kind of a loaded question, but uh, is there anything? The only thing I can think of is I think, I think there's a lot of, um, you know, I mentioned the overconfidence maybe in in the off season as they downplay their weaknesses, upplay their strengths. I think Michigan's athletic department has a tendency to, to um, rationalize a 10 and three season as a success. You know, they talk about the history, the tradition, the, um, you know, how fun it was going to a bowl game that they, I mean, you would not know by the way the Michigan athletic department talks about itself, conducts itself, especially when it comes to football, that Michigan has one national title in 60, no, 73 years. You would not know it by how Michigan athletics operates. Personal, personally, my opinion, I don't know if that hurts what Jim has done, but that is something to, to, I I assume Jeff's trying to get at the, like, Michigan cares about academics. I I assume that, I assume he was trying to get at that. I don't think that's an issue. Um, Or at least it's not as big of an issue as it's being made out to be does feel a little bit of complacency, you know, in, in my perception of how the athletic department operates. And that's kind of what we talked about. They're slow to make coaching changes They They wait until it's not just the fans who are saying it. It's like the entire world is saying it. Steve, any, any thoughts on the athletic department? Uh, no, I mean, I, I think you, we share pretty similar views. I suppose I'd just be regurgitating what you said in a different order of words. I do think they were hindered right now by the lack of contract extension. Why would you say, sorry, I'm getting the, the illogic component of it drives me nuts. Why would you say you want Jim Harbaugh to coach at Michigan for life and not sign him to one extension? I mean, Utah, I think with Kyle Whittingham, I think he was extended through 2023. They added it all the way to 2027. I mean, you have, you have programs less successful than Michigan, double extending guys, extending who are already extended further than Jim Harbaugh, who are getting additional extensions. That's a puzzler. That, that one doesn't, I, I don't know. I don't know. That's that's, and, and who knows what that's going to lead to now that Michigan is struggling. So anyway, I think we covered, if we missed your question, I apologize. Um, We got a few, got some good ones. Hopefully you enjoyed this discussion. For Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Stay tuned. We got a Wisconsin preview coming tomorrow. Uh, Obviously, we'll recap the Wisconsin game. We'll keep this discussion. Our hope is to, if there's something that needs to be said, we're going to be there to say it. So uh, hopefully you enjoyed this podcast. Let us know what you think. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. We'll see you next time.